Let me say uh, thank you for having me back to speak again. Um, I, I'm your guest speaker this morning. Uh, no, it's been, I've been away for a few weeks, if you've noticed or not noticed, maybe. Um, I'm very grateful for uh, Jody and Matt, uh, who have been able to fill in while I was gone. Um, how many of you were here the last two weeks uh, here, Matt? Or Leave your hands up. Can I have one of my elders check the attendance record to see if this is right? Uh, you know, all right, all right, just kidding. But uh, it, it was great. Uh, they did fantastic. I had a chance to listen to their messages. They were good and, in fact, maybe a little, little too good. Um, uh, uh, when I was in Bible college, they taught us that our, our, when you have a guest speaker come, make sure they're bad so that people will miss you uh, when you can. So uh, that wasn't the case. I remember as a kid growing up, like, the guest speakers were always boring, and they're not supposed to be as good as... Ours, but they're great. They were fantastic. I, the message on the website, if you did miss some, some great things from both Matt and Jody. Um, this, uh, I, I usually come back and, and, and I you know, would want people to say, you know, hey, uh, um, we miss you. And now it's, uh, um, you should go away more often. Uh, and so I don't know how to feel about that. But I guess they, they, they enjoy you guys as well. Um, Thursday was Thanksgiving. How many uh, had people over, went to see people, had friends, family kind of thing? Many of you, several of you. Um, uh, we had a wonderful event here at the church uh, where last four or five years we kind of started this tradition for people who don't have place to go, don't have family, or not traveling, and, but want to be a part of Thanksgiving meal, don't want to just be alone for that, to come to the church and, and have that moment together. And so we, we did that again, and it's also part of the tradition has been for me to stay up all night prepping for the next day. Um, and it's not like a need to stay up all night, it's just poor planning and, and frozen turkeys, right? You know, so I gotta, we got to do that, so that happened again. So it was a long, long day, um, but I went home Thursday after the Detroit Lions won, um, securing first place in the AFC North, um, in case you're keeping score. But I went home, and, and, I, and, I, and I laid down, and I, and I turned on Netflix, and I was out. Like, it was like 6 o'clock. I felt like, man, I was like, I know what it feels like to be 50 and go to bed early uh, like that. And, and <laughs> I'm, just, I'm getting old, too. I'm getting there. Um, but, normally, uh, but normally, I don't know if you're like me, I need a sound machine, right, to, to fall asleep. I need something, you know, to, to, to listen to as I go to sleep, but not that night. I mean, I was out. How many of you like to go to bed listening to something? Several of you, yes. Uh, uh, maybe a fan or something. Maybe you have a sound machine. Um, we're going to take a moment real quick. You're going to get to know the people that are sitting around you. And I want you to share with them what's the one noise that you like to go to sleep to. All right, we, and hold on, I'm free to, and I do marriage counseling. Hold on, hold on, don't, don't start yet, don't start yet. Wait, right here, right here. Uh, we do, I do premarital counseling, and I remember going through premarital counseling uh, uh, when, before I got married, and I always wondered, um, they always asked us, well, you got to talk about these things because these things will come up in your marriage. And they never mentioned things like, you know, do you like to go to bed sleeping to sound? Or do you like the fan on, the AC on? Those are things that we fight about, right? So those are things you should be talking about in your premarital counseling. So anyways, take a minute. Share with those. Introduce yourselves. And what, do you like, what noise do you like to fall asleep to? Go. Okay. What, what were some of the things you guys said? What were some of them? Let me hear your wife snoring? You like to go to sleep to that? Yeah, yeah, all right. All right, fantastic. What else? Fan. Silence TV. Air filter. Like a, like a water filter thing? Air, air. Okay, all right. What else? Anything else? How many of you guys like white noise? White noise kind of thing like that. I always, uh, I always, uh, what's that? <laughs> I... 
during the summer, I like to open the window and hear the coyotes. Because we have a lot of, you didn't know this, there's a ton of coyotes in this back field area. And I like to go to bed. I like to hear that because I'm, I'm a nature guy. I like to hear that. But then it gets our dog barking, which wakes up the kids. And then, and then it's a really messy thing. So I don't know why. It just. But anyways, I enjoy that. But this kind of brings us to our passage today in Matthew chapter 13. Um, we're going to pick back up in the story. So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 13 with me. Um, Jesus has been creating tension in the room, right? There's been conflict among Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. In chapter 12, Jesus uh, is, it's the Sabbath, and Jesus heals somebody, which according to the Pharisees was against the law. And Jesus is like, really? Is it a sin to, to do good on the Sabbath? Is it wrong to feed the hungry on the Sabbath? He's asking these questions. And, and then Jesus kind of ups the game and he kind of ups the tension in the room. And he says, I'm the son of God and I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And that was like strike three. These guys begin to plot ways to kill Jesus. And Jesus, so he feels that rejection from everyone around him. The, the Pharisees are questioning him. Matt shared last week that even his family began to question him. And Jesus' response was to that was, well, Who's my family then? My family is those that do the will of God. That's my family. And so now, once again, the crowds have gathered again, and they want to hear what this Jesus guy is going to say next. Like, what, what is he going to say now? He just rebuked the Pharisees, because these were, these were highly respected religious leaders. Like, the Pharisees back then were not viewed like we view the Pharisees now. And then he suggested that his family is not, if they're not for, the, for him, they're, they're against him. And the crowds have gathered and they're expecting Jesus to continue to turn things upside down. And it's at this time, Jesus begins to teach using parables. And a parable is an indirect truth. It's using story and characters and illustration to kind of compare everyday real life. And most of the time, there's this hidden meaning inside the parable. And Jesus chooses to use earthy parables because like any good speaker, you have to know your audience. You want to use a language that would be familiar to those that you're talking to, a familiar concept. And so Jesus uses these earthy concepts like farmers and, and seeds and, and sowing and, and weeds. And the first parable we get to is the parable of the sower. And it, it must be a very important story because it's also told in Mark and, and Luke. So all three of the synoptic gospels have this same parable. They all felt that it was important to include it in their retelling of the story. It's also a favorite parable to, to many theologians and, and pastors because it's like the only one where Jesus explains the meaning to, right? Like normally Jesus tells a parable and he's left the listeners or in our case, the readers to kind of discover on our own what the meaning is. But in this one, Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to do the work for you. Uh, let me tell you what this one means, which is going to make my job easy this morning. And we'll get to that in a moment. But Jesus is going to start using these parables to show us what the kingdom of God is like. But it's, it's so big that there's not one definition that, that's going to be enough. And so Jesus is going to start with this, this first story about the sower. So Matthew 13, starting in verse 1, it says this. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. While all the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. 
And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Now, it's never a good idea to create your theology or your doctrine off of a parable. But it's exactly what we tend to do. It's, it's probably what the people in the crowd were doing in that moment. They were like, I, I wonder what he's talking about. Is he talking about us? Is he talking about the Pharisees? Are, are we the sower? Or, or are we the seeds? Or, or are we the birds that eat the seeds, you know? And they're probably also thinking, well, this farmer, he just wasted 75% of his seed, right? He really needs to aim better when he's sowing. But whatever they were thinking in that moment, once again, Jesus has left his listeners sort of confused, right? And in verse 9, he, he kind of rubs it in and says, whoever has ears, let him hear. And they're like, well, what's that supposed to mean, Jesus? We all have ears. What are you trying to say, Jesus? And the disciples, they're, they're sensing this, this, that the message Jesus just gave was not being received. And so they ask him in verse 10, you know, hey man, why do you speak to the people in parables? In other words, what are you trying to say to them? Just say it, you know, why all the vagueness, Jesus? And I heard someone this week describe us as the escalator culture. You know, we want to get to the next level with little to no effort, right? Just tell me what it means, right? Don't make us do any of the work. But Jesus is going to explain why people won't understand what he's saying. And so he gathers his guys kind of close to him and he says this. And it's very similar to the Sermon on the Mount. If you remember back in earlier chapters of Matthew, we often read the Sermon on the Mount as if Jesus is on the side of the mountain and he's yelling out to this giant crowd where scripture actually tells us that he calls his disciples close and he begins to teach them. And here he does it again. He brings the disciples close. In verse 11, he replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For, these, for this people's heart have become calloused. They hardly hear with their eyes, and they have closed, or they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And Jesus goes all Old Testament on them, right? He begins to quote from the prophet Isaiah and from the Psalms. And he's showing that since the beginning, the message of the kingdom of God was planted in the hearts of God's people. But still they turned and God, they turned from God and, and, and they hardened their hearts. And as a result, it says that they will never see it or understand it. And then Jesus says that even today, the kingdom is showing up and people still reject it. 
They refuse to listen to it. And hearts remain hard. And then in verse 18, Jesus is going to unpack it for the disciples. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and is at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Four hearts, four conditions, four types of people that the word of God falls on. Four times the farmer throws out the seed and only one time does it produce a crop. In other words, all four instances... The message is delivered, but there's only one time where the message is received and fruit is produced. So let's look at these briefly because really Jesus, he already explained all this and only 25% of you are going to understand it. So let's get to this. So we got the path, right? Verse 18, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes, snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Now, technically, the seed is not meant for the path, right? It's kind of on the fringe of the field. Farmers that are trying to sow seed, they're not aiming for the path, right? They know that the seeds might fall there, but there's no expectation of growth along the path. Jesus is aware that there are people in the crowd that don't want to hear what he has to say. We know the Pharisees in chapter 12, Jesus was trying to explain to them, who he was and what the Sabbath was about and how it was lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And instead of listening, they were plotting how to kill him. They had their minds already made up. They didn't care what Jesus had to say. And then there are those people that are kind of outside the target of the message, right? They don't want to be, they don't want to be here, right? They don't want to listen to what I have to say. I don't need this. I don't want this. I'm not interested in a faith community. And those are the people that we usually think about in this metaphor of the path, right? The skeptics, the the doubters, the the unbelievers. But that's not what I'm thinking about these days. I think this also could be the people who have been in church their whole lives. And have grown hard and calloused to the message of the gospel. They're no longer moved by God. They've heard it before. This doesn't move me anymore. Many evangelicals go to church just to have their beliefs affirmed, not challenged, not turned upside down. Or maybe for you, you've you've let anger or bitterness move into your heart and it's hardened you. It's hardened you to the message of God. Either way, Jesus says that there is an enemy that wants to come and take away any chance of that message taking root. That there is an enemy that is active in removing any understanding. 
An enemy that wants to make sure nothing gets below the surface. Is that you this morning? Have you hardened your heart to the message of God? Then there's the rocky soil. Verse 20, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. You ever leave church after experiencing joy and before you even leave the parking lot, you're fighting with your wife or kids? Anyone, right? Yeah, right? it's not me. I, mean, I technically live on the property, so it's no fair. I, got, I mean, it's there. But, but and you're, like, you're like, man, that was a great service. God was, was moving in that worship. It was great. And then two minutes later, it's like, get in the car, right? Anyone ever do that? Yeah, right? It's not enough root. There's not enough root for fruit to show up, right? There's not enough root for fruit like patience or, or kindness or, or gentleness to show up. But the verse says, no fruit when persecution or trouble comes because of the word, which I think is an indictment of the church today. You see, when faced with adversary, we lack fruit. You ever notice that the first card that's ever played with those that are outside of the church or outside of the faith or, or, or don't believe, the first card is, that's played is like the critique of Christians, right? It's never, well, I don't believe Jesus is real because... I don't believe in people coming back from the dead. You know, I, I don't believe Jesus is real because of dying on the cross for my sins. It's always, I don't believe Jesus is real because his followers are really bad at following him. I thought your Jesus said to love your neighbors, that the first shall be last. I thought Jesus said that we will know you, that you're his disciples by the way you love one another. But what have we, what have we given the world We've given them Bible-believing slave owners. We've given them European Christians who remain silent during the Holocaust. We give them crooked, fear-mongering politicians claiming to be the representative of the American evangelical. And evangelicals are green. We've given them indifference towards the widow and the orphan and the poor. Or the fact that our theology changes depending on which kingdom we're living for. I thought Jesus said to love your enemies, not kill them. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Jesus is asked, well, who's my neighbor? You know, the, 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 the Christians, the church leaders want to know, well, who, what's the minimum I have to do? Who's my neighbor? You say I have to love my neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor, Jesus? And he tells the story about the Good Samaritan where this Samaritan who worshipped at a different mountain, worshipped a different god. Looked different, dressed different, acted different, believed different. That that was the person you were supposed to love. Not the guy that was beaten up on the path, which is most of the time we're taught that story. is To love your neighbor means if someone's beaten up on the path, you help them. No, no. It was to love the Samaritan, the one who showed love to the neighbor. There's a great commercial out right now, and I, I posted it on the Facebook page. Some of you saw it. Amazon does this fantastic commercial where, where it shows an Orthodox Christian, perhaps a, a Catholic priest, or maybe a, a pastor, a reverend. Um, he's got the black shirt and the white, little white thing, so we know that uh, he's uh, somewhere into a religious leader. He invites over 
what appears to be a Muslim and they begin to talk and laugh. And, and at one point, they, they both get up from the couch and they both like kind of grab their knees kind of in pain. They're older, older guys and they just they kind of make a joke. You can see them. There's no words to it. They just kind of laugh and they leave. They part ways and immediately they both go to their phones and they go to Amazon and they order something. And, you know, and then it's kind of fast forwards in the commercial and the Amazon package shows up at each door. And they both open it up simultaneously. And what they had done is they both had bought each other knee braces and they both go in the exact same knee braces and they show them, put them on. And then it shows the, 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 the one guy go to his church and kneel and the other guy go to his church and kneel and begin to pray. And it was just this moment of like how we're to love those that we disagree with, that we, those that aren't on the same maybe belief place. I think that all ties in there. Thorns, verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. But the worries of his life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. We are distracted by life, and it's not always bad things. We get distracted by good things too. But we're, we're so worried and we're anxious about things, money, our kids, our job, our health. We live in a constant state of what if. And we love to make excuses for why we can't respond to the message of God. We're too broke to give, too busy to serve, too stressed to fill in the blank. And then there's the deceitfulness of wealth, which is consumption. The reality that we believe that we need more stuff. See, we cannot survive living off anxiety and stress and chaos. There will be no fruit. And if the enemy can get you to be just busy enough to stop the impact you have on others, he can get you so tangled up in thorns that your influence is gone. May not get your soul, but if you can steal your influence. Then the good soil, verse 23. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word, understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Often within the church, we see these types of hearts, these types of soil. So the one... That's here today that you receive the message with joy, but then hard times come. I want you to be encouraged today to not give up, to stand firm. I know some of you went home to be with your family and it's the hardest place to live out your faith when you're surrounded by the people who think they know you the most. And it always seems to bring out your worst. Stand firm. Those of you that are here this morning, you're anxious, you're worried, you're distracted. You're so busy with life that any sign of fruit gets choked out. Be encouraged. You need to stand firm too. I read about this week the effects that wind has on plants and trees. They say that wind is vital to the growth of the tree, not just the oxygen it provides, but the constant bending and swaying allows the roots to be strengthened, the trunk to become sturdier, the stress Caused by the wind is needed because the flex will allow for more growth in the end. So don't give in. Don't live in fear of the what if. Don't give in to anxiety, but breathe. And for those of you that hear the message, you understand it, you apply it to your life, you make the changes necessary. Those of you that are producing good fruit, keep it up. There's more to be done. But today, as your pastor, I look out at our culture 
I look out at the Christian faith and I'm concerned. I have a heavy heart for our church and for those that claim Jesus. And I wonder if some of us have been in the game so long that we're no longer moved by the message. That we're no longer captivated by the story. We don't tell it. We don't live it out. We forget it. You come to church and you turn on the sound machine and you just check out. I don't want this story to become white noise for me. I don't want this to be white noise for you. I don't want the message of the kingdom of God to be something you just fall asleep to. It's just noise. So here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to take a moment and I want us to stop. And I want us to check our hearts. I want us to test the soil this morning. So I'm going to invite the band to join me. I want to ask you a few questions this morning. What condition is your heart in today? What's, what's going on inside your soul? I wonder about some of us. I wonder if the message is getting through. I wonder if you even listen or hear what's being said. You see, we come to church and we listen to a message and we just think God needs to ultimately live up to his end of the deal. Just get us through to the end. Get, I want heaven with my Jesus. And the only thing God is promising here in this passage is that if you continue to reject this idea of the kingdom of God and how we are to love others, if your heart is hard, then he will turn you over to a hardened heart and your eyes will remain shut and your ears will remain closed. You see, ignoring the message of Jesus doesn't get you Jesus. Ignoring the message of Jesus will ultimately lead to you not seeing or hearing or understanding ever. And slowly you will remove yourself from the presence of God, which is hell. Do you come on Sundays to listen? So ask yourself, how good, how good did you do at listening? Last week, Matt challenged us to live out and practice some family values. Practice saying things like, I love you. Thank you. Please forgive me. I forgive you. How well did you do at listening? Did you practice that? Was the seed planted inside you to produce fruit? Or did you harden your heart to the message? Did you shut your eyes? Did you close your ears? That's not for me. I don't have to forgive anyone. I don't need to ask anyone to forgive me. When it comes to things in scriptures that you don't like, like love your enemies, give to the poor, be generous, forgive those that hurt you, ask for forgiveness from ones you've hurt, to love one another, to welcome the stranger, to live at peace with one another. Unfortunately, our response to those things are culturally formed instead of shaped by the Spirit of God. Change is needed or your heart will remain hardened. So what's going on in your heart? You're missing out on the grace of God. 
Though seeing, they did not see. Though hearing, they did not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's hearts had become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. If that's you, if you're like, that's me, I'm the hardened heart, that should cause concern in your soul. And if you are concerned, well, that's a good sign. N.T. Wright puts this in his book about the Gospel of Matthew in this passage. He says this, The really troubling thing about this passage is not simply that people have had to wait so long to see the kingdom finally appear. The biggest problem is that now that it's appearing at last, it is bringing both judgment and mercy. And part of the judgment is that people will look and not see what God is doing. People will listen to what Jesus is saying and they simply won't be able to understand. Like tone deaf people listening to a symphony, they'll have no idea what it's all about. The band's going to sing a song and I want us to take the next few minutes to check the softness of our hearts. If you want to close your eyes, you're welcome to do that. Listen to the words of the song.